Thrive card, uh, Connect card rather. I'd like to drop that in there. We encourage you to do that. There is a place on the back of that Thrive card, Connect card. I'm going to get that right to write your Thrive story. That's where I was going with that. I'm also going to do something that I've never done in our church before, and and I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I. Um, I'm going to ask, once, once our ushers have passed the baskets, um, we got a smaller crowd this morning. I know some people are on vacation and college students have gone home, um, but I'm actually going to ask if, we, if you're sitting towards the back, I'd love for us to move a little closer. Um, and if you, would do the, if you would indulge me this morning, I have a very personal message that I want to share and and for those of you that are a little further back, I just I want to feel I want to be a little more connected this morning. So I've never done this before. I, I doubt I'll ever do it again. But um, but I'd love to to just be a little closer to where you all are. I know you're all like settled in. The seat's nice and warm. The chair, the, these cushions are still a little hard, and so it takes a few minutes for it to start settling, right? And uh, I just. I just landed in, in L.A. Uh, at 6 o'clock this morning on a red-eye from Anchorage, and I'll share more about that in a minute. But I was flying on a very new aircraft that had very new seats that were not super, super comfortable. Um, but a couple of quick things before we move on with the rest of our service. Um, Today is the first Sunday of the month where usually we go over to Finkbeiner Park after service for a picnic. Here's the problem. It's supposed to rain and actually be thunderstorms. You know it's colder in, in L.A. this morning than it was in Anchorage when I left last night? I've been watching the temperature all week going, I'm going to go back to the cold. Um, <laughs> uh, so, wow. And then next Saturday, um, we're, we're going to be doing another outreach uh, connection time with uh, the folks over at Arbor Glen Care Center. It's a convalescent home uh, where Jim and Candy Mayhew actually go each Sunday and they lead a Bible study there. Um, and we're just going to go encourage the folks. We spend some time with them and uh, we're there for about an hour usually. And we just sit and hang out and... Um, we invite you to come and be a part of that. We're going to meet at the Thrive Center at 2 o'clock uh, to, to just kind of give some context to our time. We have to give some instruction and uh, how we interact with the folks over there, and then we'll go over to Arbor Glen and go love on the folks over there. So um, there's more details about that in the bulletin. Well, I want to uh, say thank you. ready <laughs> um, for your support and prayer for our family in what has been two of the hardest weeks of my life. Um, for those of you that don't know or um, maybe you're visiting with us this morning, I'll just fill you in. It was two weeks ago tomorrow. that our 13-year-old niece took her own life up in Anchorage. And uh, Megan and our kids are still up there with family. We had a funeral service on Monday and a celebration of life party last night and ate all of Riley's favorite foods, which really didn't agree with me on a red-eye flight. <laughs> Sour, Sour Patch Kids and... French fries and chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, I honestly say I've never experienced pain like this. And I've lost family members to cancer, accidents. But this is not like that. And I don't know if any of you, I'm sure, in even a room of this many people, that there are those who've been impacted by suicide. Uh, the fact that she was 13 years old, 
And it raises a whole lot of questions. A whole lot of questions. It's events like, and tragedies like this that, that do, we, we call, even for those of us who would say, well, my faith is solid. I've got a rock-solid faith. Man, <laughs> I'm asking questions of the Lord that I've never asked before because I've never been in this place before. You know, and the, the simplest questions are simply, why, why is there a pain? How do we see God's love in the midst of something like this? And, you know, of course, the one that keeps coming up in all kinds of circumstances, how could a loving God allow something like this to happen? I've watched my wife and my kids respond in the midst of a family context where many of our family members don't know the Lord. I watch my wife and my kids share the love of Jesus in just very tangible ways. I'm so proud of them. You'd be proud of them. And I need you to know your prayers for us uh, have been absolutely felt, received, needed, um, and will continue to be in the days and, and weeks ahead. Um, we have, I'll be flying back up on Thursday uh, to be uh, with our family once again. Uh, it's Mother's Day next Sunday, and uh, we, we just made the decision to be with family on Mother's Day. It's going to be a hard Mother's Day. It's also Gracie's 13th birthday, and, um, and I was like, I'm not going to miss that. I will be there. And then we have the graveside funeral, um, the graveside service on Monday of next week. And so we wanted to make sure as a family to be there. Can I encourage you in this? Um, when it comes to these kinds of things in our lives, sometimes we wonder, well, should I go? Should I be there? I've adopted this posture as, as much as I can, as much as it's possible, yes. Because you'll never look back on your life and go, wow, I regret not going. These things, you'll never regret being with family in these times, especially as people who carry the hope of Jesus with us. People need that. So continue to pray for our family. This message, the message this morning is um, on hope. And actually, was hope was the subject, the topic before any of this even happened. It's timely. I'm going to do my best to make it through. <laughs> um, but I'd invite you to open your heart to what the Lord would want to speak to you today. And really is a very tender place, I believe, as, as so many of you have walked with us um, in your, your, your calls and your text messages and your emails uh, have reflected not just your care, but the compassion that you have. Uh, and uh, I know that there's been tears shed uh, on for, by many of you over this. And so this is a tender spot, but I believe that it's some, those, those places so often that God ministers and speaks to us. Um, so we started a series a couple of weeks ago entitled The Church Jesus Loves. The Church Jesus Loves. See, Jesus always loves his church. He loves people. That's why we get to celebrate communion. It's that covenant, that covenant that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you with an undying, unended, unending kind of love. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. But I'd mentioned before, I love my kids, but it doesn't always mean I'm pleased with my kids. I love my children, but there's days where I'm like, you're, you're not representing our family well. You're not representing the Lord well. Your decisions and your behavior are not in line with what is best for your life. So I love you, but you need to make some changes. 
And so when I say the church that Jesus loves, what, what I'm saying is this, is, is that his love will never end for us, but, but there's, a ch- there's a way that he loves for us to be as his church. There's a way that, he, that, that pleases his heart in regards to how we live our lives. Mentioned this quote before, I heard this recently and I love this. Jesus predicted a people, he didn't predict a place. He predicted a people, he didn't predict a place. So when we're talking about the church Jesus loves, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about a location. We're not talking about a ministry or a personality. We're not talking about a podcast or an online streaming platform. We're talking about the people of God. Human beings, flesh and blood, People who have made a commitment to follow Jesus, make him their Lord and Savior. We are the church. He predicted a people. He didn't predict a place. And that's so important for us to know because it shifts the focus of the conversation when it comes to the church that Jesus loves. It shifts the focus even for us and what we say when, well, I'm looking for this in a church. I'm church shopping right? It should almost be reversed that when someone comes into church, the interview should be, hey, what kind of Christian are you? And I'm not, you know, do, we want to make sure that you should be associated with this body of believers. You know that in Israel, to be a part of the Christian church in Israel, um, for them to welcome you into their fellowship, your, your, your salvation and your, your walk with the Lord, has to, you actually have to be able to prove that there, it's been accompanied with a sign or wonder, that there has to be some kind of miraculous work in your life for the, the Christian church because there's so much persecution. They want to know that you're actually the kind of Christian that, that could be a part of the church. A part of that fellowship. In fact, that word church is translated gathering. It's not translated venue. It's people. And it's what we see in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. When they talk about the church in Ephesus and the church in Antioch, they weren't talking about a structure. They were talking about a gathering of people. Jesus predicted a people. He didn't predict a place. And those people, us, are supposed to accurately portray and display the likeness of our Lord. That's why we're called Christians. Said that recent studies that people don't mind Jesus. They just have a problem with his followers. People don't mind Jesus. They don't have a problem. They just have a problem with his followers. That, that, that statement was actually originated by Gandhi he said, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your Christians. When we think about the church, about us, the statement should bother us. It should bother us, and not in the kind of bothering that says, I can't believe those people, that they would think that way. What nerve, right? What nerve, what, what kind of judgmental view do they have? You know, they say the, the thing about stereotypes is that they're usually accurate, that they're birthed out of some modicum of, of truth. And so when it comes to the church, when we look at the church historically, we don't have a good track record. We don't. We don't always represent our Lord and Savior well. But the flip side of that coin is this. You can't separate Jesus and the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And so I shared this a couple of weeks ago. It's like someone saying to me, hey, Barry, I really like you. I like spending time with you, but I can't stand your wife. Guess what? We're not going to hang out. We're not going to hang out because I love my wife. And she's not perfect. And the analogy breaks down because I'm not perfect either, but she's my bride. I love her. I was, I was just yesterday, every time I looked at Megan, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be gone for a few days. I'm just going to miss you. And so we're in the middle of the living room. We're just taking a big family picture. And I just went over and gave her a hug and a big kiss. And one of my nieces was like, 
you, you know, and did the whole like, you. And I was like, no, 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 no. I said, after 20 years of marriage, this is awesome because I love your aunt. I love her. She's, she's my favorite person in the world. And I love to give her kisses and hugs. You know, and the whole thing. So when it comes to Jesus in the church, we're inseparable. But we do have to make sure that as the bride of Christ, we're acting accordingly. That we're representing him well. Yeah, we should be bothered. It should bother us that people like Jesus but don't like Christians. It should bother us. It should break our hearts that Jesus is represented in any way other than what pleases his heart. And it starts with us. It starts with you and it starts with me because we are the church. And so it should bother us. And those parts of my own life that don't look like Jesus should bother me. They should bother me so much that I make a change in my life, that I do something about it. And it's all too easy to sit in church, to go to church week after week and hear messages and sermons and read books and never actually do something about what I hear and make a change. I've got to tell you that this has come into such clarity and focus for me in the midst of unspeakable pain. Because this isn't theory. And it's not wishful thinking. This is life. Literally, this is life to people who don't know Jesus. And we have it to give. So what does the church Jesus love looks like, look like? We talked about in the first week, the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. See, we need to take our cues from him because Jesus is the model He's the blueprint for how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to act in our lives and, and what being a Christ follower. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a Christ follower, if I'm emulating him, what I need to do is look at his life and say, what, what did Jesus do? I need to go do the same thing. And it's, it's not as cute as what would Jesus do. It is how did Jesus live every aspect of his life and how do I align and do the same? And it's a lot more hard work. So the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. And then last Sunday, Pastor Deb shared the church Jesus loves extends the grace of Jesus. That there is no one, no one, no one that God will not extend his grace to. We'll say, you know what? It doesn't matter how far you've gone. I will receive you. I will extend my grace to you and welcome you back. This morning, I want to speak about hope. The church Jesus loves brings the hope of Jesus. The church Jesus loves brings the hope of Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, the words will be up on the screen as well. You can follow along there. Isaiah the prophet writes this, Do you not know... Have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strengths. They will soar in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The answer for many is no. They don't know and they haven't heard. They have no idea. 
I've spent the last week and a half with people who don't know Jesus. And they're in an absolute flat spin. Just wondering, how do, how do we make sense of this? And, and they don't know what to do. And when it comes to asking these questions, do you not know? Do you not know? Have you not heard? They don't. That every day you are surrounded by people, if you were to ask the question, do you not know? Have you not heard? They would say, no, I haven't. I don't know. I don't know that God is the everlasting God. I don't know that he is the creator of the ends of the earth, which by the way, the world around us calls into question, doesn't it? Didn't know that he doesn't grow tired or weary. And I didn't know that he has understanding beyond what we could ever, ever, ever come up with. There's some really smart people in my family who have no answers to their questions right now. None. None. There's no books, there's no learning. There's no hotline that they can call and say, hey, would you answer the question of why? None. They do not know and they have not heard. They do not know that God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, because we live in a world that says, just do it yourself. Pull yourself up. Make something of yourself. At some point, that runs out. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. I think this is the hardest part for me in this passage. No one's immune. Age doesn't matter. Our children are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. They are getting older, faster. Our kids are getting older, faster. Used to be, I was a junior high pastor for many years, and kind of that seventh, eighth grade year, it was kind of like the, their eyes all of a sudden got open to all kinds of new things. I'm going to tell you, by the time kids are in seventh and eighth grade, they know stuff that you you've never learned in your life before and not in a good way that our youth are being exposed and they are under attack relentless attack can I just be real for a minute it would be ignorant for us as a church to just pretend like it's not happening because that's what we tend to do so often well I'm kind of uncomfortable with the subject I'm uncomfortable with those things because I grew up in a generation where we just didn't talk about stuff. Sex? No, we don't talk about that. But we just kind of keep it just quiet, private. My, my parents and their parents before, we don't talk about things. We have a generation that is growing up that needs someone to talk to. They need you. And so they need us to move outside of our discomfort and our awkwardness. Stop being awkward. Right? It's not easy, but we need to move beyond it. Megan and I were asked to be the junior high camp directors up at Cedar Crest this year. A couple of weeks before all of this happened. You better believe I'm going in with a whole new perspective. Because I'm thinking, if we can save one kid, both for eternity, but for now as well, we need to move beyond. Why? Because they need to know and they need to hear. Here's the thing. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the promise of God's word. If you will embrace 
the Lord, if you want to embrace Jesus Christ, that he will give you a strength you don't understand that doesn't make sense in the midst of pain and sorrow and suffering and brokenness. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter answers the question, do you not know? Have you not heard? This way, he says to us as believers, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Put him at the very center of who you are. And then he makes this statement, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This passage, this verse, should be just printed out and just tape it. In your car, on your mirror, in your bathroom, on your desk at work. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is where our reputation as Christians sometimes gets called into question. Because we walk into situations like what my family is going through right now. There was another minister involved. The, the, the service, the funeral service was at a Catholic church and, and the priest did uh, a great job leading. And there was another minister from another denomination there, an older gentleman. And um, I watched as he came in, just very brash, not very compassionate. And I wanted to tackle him. <laughs> I wanted to just like shoo him out of the room because he came in with just kind of this air about him and I watched people scatter. And everywhere he moved, it was just like, it was like the oceans parted. And I don't mean to disparage a brother, but I got to tell you, this is personal for me. This is my family. And brother, you're not doing a good job right now. Now I'm sure I dropped the ball as well. But I was just seeing this unfold in front of me because the gentleness wasn't there. When Paul and when Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect, is it, there, there's a moment where someone would come to you and say, what is it about your life? And hopefully they're seeing something in your life. What is it about your life? Why is it that you just always seem so hopeful? And the Bible says, always be ready. To give an answer. Are you ready? If someone asks you today, what, what is it about you? What would you tell them? What would you say? Well, I'm just generally a positive person. No. What's the answer? His name is Jesus Christ. Well, I can't say. Yes, you can. And you need to because they need to know the truth. Now, my, they might not go, oh, I, great, I want, but our gentleness and respect will open the door to the next conversation. Why? Because so many Christians' reputation is, you're kind of a jerk. And I found out you're a Christian, and I'm like, Phew, I really don't want to talk to you again. So the gentleness and respect allows people to come back. So this is kind of what happened all throughout the day. As we went to the funeral and then we went and had pizza afterwards and we're sitting in a room with 30 people and there are people who don't know the Lord and, and there's a family member and she was there with her significant other and they're sitting right next to us, Megan and I, and we're having great conversation with this gay couple. In fact, there were two gay couples in the room and guess what? We didn't make it weird. We just recognized that everyone's hurting. And people started asking questions. Hey, I heard you were a pastor, so... And we just had dialogue, and we cried, and, and we hurt together. And when we do this with gentleness and respect, people go, wow, you're different. 
you can be different. You can be different in your workplace. You can be different in your neighborhood, in your community. Because we never know what people are walking through. And when they see that there's something in our lives, they're going to go, I want that. And if we're not ready to give an answer, that's a problem. It's a problem. Could it be that one of the reasons that we're reticent about our faith, that we're not ready to share, is that we haven't fully embraced the hope for ourselves. I really felt like I can't even move on, and i got a couple of points I want to make in, in the time we have left. But I was thinking about this. I think some Christians, for many, many Christians, and may, maybe even for some of you today, you're not ready to give an answer because you might not believe it yourself. So let me ask you this morning, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? I talked about this morning with communion that Jesus went to the cross for you. And before we can give it, we need to receive this for ourselves. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you are lacking hope, that Jesus wants to impart and give you hope today that will transform your life. And get, I know this, we all have bad days. Like I said, it starts with you and it starts with me and it starts with us fully embracing all that Jesus has for us. So as I share these next points these are for you first, and then they are something that we would share with other, others. So the first is this. The hope that we bring is a hope for the past. A hope for the past. Now, it sounds weird even saying that sentence, because hope generally has to do with things future, things that haven't happened yet. So how can you have hope for the past? Here's why. Here's how. See, we, we all have a past. We all have things that have happened to us and things that we've done, things that, are, that we would consider highs and lows. There's things that we would say are joys, and then there are places of suffering. There, there are victories in our lives, and then there are incredible defeats. There are incredible points of intimacy and closeness, and there are places of abuse and neglect. And we all carry those things with us in our lives. Paul wrote this to the church in, in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Why do our eyes need to be enlightened? Why do the eyes of our hearts need to be enlightened? Because so often we walk around with heavy hearts because of what's happened to us in the past and we feel like there is no hope because of what I've come out of, because of what I've experienced, because of what's happened to me or been done to me, and that there's a veil of darkness that would be there that the enemy would just want to perpetuate and just keep bringing back to remembrance. You can't move forward with your life because you know that thing, that thing. But in Christ, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to the truth. They're enlightened to the truth. Satan wants to keep you stuck in your past. Jesus wants to usher you into your future. See, the truth is this. Your past shapes you, but it doesn't define you. Your, your past shapes you. You'll bear scars and you become the person you are because of the things you've walked through, but it does not define you it is not your identity. And they can have a dramatic impact on our lives. And I don't want to lessen the hurts. There's things that just hurt. There were things in Riley's life that just hurt a lot. But they don't define you. And we say, well, just, just forget. No, you can't just forget. There's a process of healing that God brings about. See, our brains are wired in such a way that those traumatic and hurtful and painful things in our lives linger. They stick with us. 
But it's through the person of Jesus Christ that we can have healing through his broken body that we can have healing, not just for our physical body, but for our emotions and for our minds. Paul says to the Roman church, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that God wants to do a renewing in you. See, God can bring healing. God can bring purpose. God can redeem. It doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. Your identity is in Christ, and you have a glorious inheritance in Him. That's the promise of God's Word to you. That's who you are. So that hope for the past, you can't change the past, but God can bring healing to the things of the past. And so it starts there. If I don't feel like I can get free of the things in my past, I'll never embrace the future that God has for me. The second is this, hope for the present. Hope for the present. Hebrews 10.23, the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So in the same way we can get stuck in the past, we can get stuck in the present. Where we all we see is what's right in front of us. We get tunnel vision. Anyone get tunnel vision? Right? And all you see is just this thing right in front of you. I, this, I have a hard time with this. Something pops up onto my radar screen that's hard or stressful. It's all I see. I think about it. I wake up at night thinking about it. And it just weighs on me so that even the other things in my life that are good suffer. And I try and take control and fix it in my own strength. Jesus said that the cares and the concerns of this life, and talking about the seed that was sown and that there would be thorns, he said it's the cares and the, the worries and the concerns of this life that rob us of the very seed that God wants to deposit in our lives. And it can be any health, finances, relationships, parenting, fill in the blank. And we get tunnel vision, we get focused on the thing that is right in front of us, and we forget that there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope for the present. And when we profess that hope, as the writer of Hebrews says, we need to hold unswervingly to it. That means that there's going to be things that try and get us off track. Picture driving down the road and someone trying to run you off the road. I'm going to hold unswervingly. I am not straying or veering from my course, no matter what, that Jesus is in the midst of this and he has a plan and a purpose. We would remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul writes this, command those, excuse me, who are rich in this present world not, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I like that. God actually wants you to enjoy your life. Okay, this might be news to you. (laughs) That God actually wants you to enjoy life. Because you've met those Christians who are just like, I met Jesus and I've been sour ever since. You're like, come on. Right? Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on. For your enjoyment. But, but what is Paul saying here? Right? And is the issue wealth? No, the issue is the distractions. In this context, it was riches. Which, by the way, by virtue of the fact that we're sitting in this building in Glendora, California, we're some of the richest people in the world. Right? We talk about the 1% in, the, in, the, in our country. We're the 1% as a nation of the world. We put our hope in wealth and temporal things, things that can be here and gone tomorrow. God says, don't do that. It's uncertain. Put your hope in God, and then he'll give you everything you need to enjoy this life. And by the way, what he gives you might not look like what you want. It could look very different. And how many of us spend our lives chasing after things that God says, never asked you to go after that. You missed it. 
You went after things that were uncertain rather than listening to the things I had for you. To hope in the present is simply this for me right now. It's to be with people. How do we bring hope in the present? Be with people. Be present. Don't just launch into your monologue. Don't just launch into your monologue. Well, I heard this preacher say, and I read this book. Can I just gently, kindly, honestly say, shut up? (laughs) Now listen, there's an appropriate time for us to speak. But it's usually long after when we've actually started speaking. I, I read this this week. It's, it's a gift to be able to communicate in multiple languages, but it's truly remarkable to be quiet in any one language. <laughs> we need to learn to just be with people before we open our mouths and quote a verse I don't think I've quoted any scripture this entire time we've been in Anchorage. I haven't needed to. You know why? Because my life, I'm letting my life do the work. I say that in all humility. But man, when you're in the midst of darkness, you recognize that there's light. So I haven't need to quote scripture to my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law, to the cousins. I haven't needed to. My sister-in-law has hugged me more times than I can count in the last two weeks and simply said, thank you for being here. Thank you for sacrificing and getting on a plane and just being here. It's made all the difference. And she doesn't even know what she's saying. I know what she's saying. She doesn't even recognize what she's saying. All she knows is that we're there. Would you be present with people? Sit with them. Feel with them. Cry with them. Jesus had compassion and empathy with people. It says that he saw the crowd and he was moved with compassion. When he walks up and Lazarus is dead and the people are weeping and it says that Jesus wept. There's all kinds of debate over why did Jesus, because he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But here's the thing about Jesus. He felt with people. And so the pain that they were feeling was real. Lazarus was dead. And so he weeps, knowing what's next. Sometimes we need to sit and weep with people and cry with them. And in those moments, little doors start opening and they go, how do you do this? How do you do this? I've spent time this week with people who don't believe what I believe. Who don't serve Jesus with their lives, who don't attend a church. Some of them I don't think have ever set foot in a church. They didn't vote the way I voted because they've been talking about that. It's amazing when you're trying to avoid a hard conversation, the things that we'll talk about. (laughs) And I've never had to say, well, you know, God's word says, don't need to, don't need to. Would you sit with people? Would you be with them? Would you be the hope in their present? And you gotta you gotta look for them. When they pop up on your radar, would you take time, slow down, cancel an appointment, and just be with people? And then finally hope for the future. See, it's hope not just for this life, but for eternity. You were created for eternity. See, our hope is an eternal hope, which is why Paul later writes in Corinthians that we don't, when it comes to death, 
we don't mourn as those who have no hope. There's a, it's a different kind of mourning. It's a different kind of mourning. Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, can okay, we stop right there, neither death nor life. When, when Jesus said to Peter that his confession of faith in Christ was accurate, and he says, and upon this confession of faith, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, when Jesus was saying that death would not overcome the life that Jesus was bringing. That not even death could separate us. Why? Because we were created for eternity. And that eternal hope is powerful. Neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We sang a few minutes ago, I'm anchored, never shaken. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. If you have a Bible app on your phone, just type in the word hope and see what comes up. God means this. You should see my notes. I've got three more pages of verses. I was like, okay, I've got to figure out which ones to share this morning. We have an eternal hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died and he rose again for you to bring you hope. So that no matter what you're facing from your past, no matter what you're facing in the present, no matter what you're facing for your future, that he says, I will bring you hope. I will strengthen you. I will cause you to soar on wings like eagles. I will cause you to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. To not faint. The church Jesus loves brings the hope of Jesus can I invite you? Can I implore you? Go bring the hope of Jesus everywhere you go. Here's the thing about Riley. She was always smiling. The thing we kept hearing this week was she's just always smiling. She was funny. She was a goofy kid. We FaceTimed with her the night before she took her life. She had a big old smile on her face. We don't know what's going on on the inside of people. But he does. And this week, I know this. He will put you in the path of someone who needs the, who needs the hope. He needs you to give an answer for the hope that you have. Let's stand together. I uh, usually end with worship. Um, I'm going to ask our worship team to just hang tight. And um, we're, we're going to close on kind of a quiet note. Sorry, I know you guys prepared a song. You're awesome. But I just feel like in this moment, I want to pray. I'm going to ask this. Our prayer team will be available. But if you want to take a few minutes just in quiet, to sit and receive from the Lord today, to do that, let hope arise. Let hope arise. Let's start here. If you need to talk to someone, if you need to talk to someone, if you're in crisis and you need someone to stand with you, to cry with you, would you reach out? It takes some bravery, takes some risk. But would you reach out? And then would you lift your eyes up and look for those who need a touch from the Lord. Father God, I thank you this morning that you are the God of hope. 
And hope does not disappoint. Your hope does not disappoint. Lord, that there is nothing in this life. There's nothing that any person who's ever lived has ever walked through on this planet. That you can't reach, that you can't touch, that your hope cannot bring breakthrough in. And so I pray even in this room this morning, Lord, for those who, whose hearts are heavy, who are feeling weary and tired and downtrodden, discouraged. Father God, would you cause hope to rise this morning? Would you cause hope to rise in every heart, in every circumstance, in every situation? Would you cause hope to rise? And Lord, as that hope rises in us and as we take that with us, Lord, that there would be those even today who would say, what is it about your life? And that we would be ready to give a bold answer about the hope we profess. Holy Spirit, empower your people, your church, to be that kind of witness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take about five minutes. If, you, if you're ready to go, go. Um, if you want to sit in the presence of the Lord for a few minutes and allow him to minister, our, our prayer team is available. Uh, you can pray with them. Um, no picnic today, but would you invite someone to lunch? Would you go sit and break bread with someone today? And then we'll look forward to seeing you next week for Mother's Day. God bless you.